0: How do we create a circular economy for a material that's made with a transformational process that can't be undone? Welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Wheatman, and I started this podcast to help people discover why circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity Some people think going circular means swapping a few materials or making things a bit more recyclable, but that's nowhere near enough to create a healthy, resilient and zero carbon world where we can all thrive. Many organisations are missing the game-changing potential of going circular. The disruptors in this space are using circular strategies to reimagine how to create value for all their stakeholders. They're doing better with less. We'll hear from those inspiring people who are challenging business as usual and rethinking how we design, make and use everything. You'll find the show notes and links at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to podcast updates, my Circular Insights newsletter and check out my award-winning A Circular Economy Handbook. hey there welcome back it's episode 111 and we're going to hear about the complexities of designing and making circular ceramics if like me you didn't study chemistry you might be wondering what exactly ceramics are to make ceramics usually means starting with one of several types of clay-based material dug from the ground that's mixed with water to make it soft and flexible and then with other materials. The mix is shaped, then fired at high temperature in a large industrial oven known as a kiln. Ceramic products make our lives better in all kinds of ways. Some have been around for centuries and we use them every day. Inside your brick, cement and glass home, you take a shower in a tiled bathroom and eat your meals from pottery plates and cups and ceramics are critical to technology and other modern products. You probably use a computer with lots of ceramic based electronic components like microchips, capacitors and resistors. Maybe relax by watching a liquid crystal TV and cook meals on high performance glass in stovetops and much more. To help us learn about circular ceramics, we're going to meet Sarah Howard a very impressive and award-winning ceramic designer and materials researcher, whose practice is focused on reducing the environmental and societal impacts of ceramic production. Sara graduated from Central Saint Martins in 2020 with a BA Honours degree in ceramic design. In her final year, Sara designed an industrial symbiosis around the ceramics industry in which waste from one industry replaces the raw materials in ceramic production. Sarah wrote a book, Circular Ceramics, to openly share her methods and processes and help fellow ceramicists to adopt these sustainable processes in their own practices. On top of that, since graduating just three years ago, Sarah has created two groundbreaking projects, collaborating with ceramic producers, artists, and other industries to implement the use of industrial waste on a larger scale. Sara tells us how she set up a project for ceramics made with excavation waste from construction sites, and is launching a circular tableware startup in Bali, complete with its own factory. We'll also find out about the key problems with modern ceramic production, and why making new ceramics from ceramic waste is pretty much impossible. Sarah explains how the pandemic stopped her initial career plans, with serendipity stepping in to open up new, exciting choices, and how she's dodged some of the other curveballs that have come her way. I found it fascinating to hear how ceramicists are changing their approaches to go more circular, and some of the surprising pressures on key materials. We'll meet Sarah in a sec after a bit of jargon busting. Sarah mentions SOPs. That's industrial terminology meaning a standard operating procedure. I've already mentioned industrial symbiosis. That describes waste from one industrial process being used as resource by another process, often in a different sector. And that's a core part of the circular economy. Sarah describes the complexities of separating waste and creating sources of materials made from waste streams. In circular economy jargon, we might call those secondary materials. OK, let's get going. Please welcome Sarah Howard. Sarah, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast.
1: Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to exploring all the different things you've been doing over just a a few short years. And I'd like to start by going back to Central St. Martin's in 2020 and your degree project. So tell us why you chose that.
1: So in 2020, I graduated from Central St. Martin's studying ceramic design and I had a project called Circular Ceramics. And the focus with Secular Ceramics was to design an industrial symbiosis around the ceramics industry, whereby the waste materials and byproducts from external industries replace the virgin wool materials in ceramic production. The reason I got into this was because I started investigating where our materials were coming from for ceramic production. I'd worked with ceramic mass producers and Stoke-on-Trent evaluated all their waste streams and felt that we could be more ambitious in our applications of waste and the natural resources we were consuming and so I made it my mission to explore how to green the ceramics industry.
0: When you were looking at ceramics you were looking at the waste coming out of the ceramics industry, but also looking at the feedstocks that you needed to create ceramics in the first place. And you did some really interesting work there. So can you explain a bit more about that?
1: So within ceramic production, we can't make it fully circular. Well, even within a a small scale business, we don't have the infrastructure and the materials sort of set a limit. So I then seeked alternative industries that were consuming the same virgin raw materials as the ceramics industry and evaluated their waste streams so an example is the glass panel manufacturing industry when they polish the edges of glass panels it produces a toxic slurry a hazardous slurry that when disposed of um, can cause ecological disruption if not done correctly Um, and so we take that material for ceramic production we process it and that replaces um, the Frick component within ceramics. So ceramics isn't just clay, we've got the clay body and commercial clay bodies are made up of eight plus ingredients. It's a combination of feldspars, various clay, ca- uh, clays and uh, kaolins and c- combined together produces various outcomes. And then you've got the glaze. So this is what makes ceramics food safe most of the time and adds color. And glazes are made up of silicas, fluxes, aluminas, and when combined in different ratios produces different outcomes, whether it's glossy, uh, matte, and it could be speckled, for example
0: so So I'm guessing for the uninitiated who might be thinking, well, why couldn't you make plates back into plates?" then I guess it's a bit like trying to unmake mayonnaise back into <laughs> olive oil um yeah, you know, exactly. lemon, lemon juice and and the egg.
1: once it once clay reaches 573 degrees it can't go back to clay so that is like the point of quartz inversion it's irreversibility um, begins at that point and so yeah you're you're sort of hit a brick wall
0: Mm. so so, (laughs) a good one yeah so circular ceramics has got to kind of be um, circular as part of other industries and going back to what you what you talked about at the beginning um that very important concept of industrial symbiosis and getting the feedstocks from one sector of the of the of an industry to become a resource for another, which is a really important concept in in circular economy terms so um then you kind of came to your final project in the degree um and something unexpected (laughs) you know that we've kind of forgotten a bit about happened tell it tell us about what happened at the end
1: sure so yeah the covid hit and usually in art school the big thing is your degree show and that's where you present your work and yeah when covid hit we were taken from our studio and we had to complete a ceramics degree without touching clay And so everyone sort of had their plan up until graduating about how they were going to execute their work, and yeah, that just got thrown into the air. But one part of my project was a book about my processes, outlining exactly how I source materials, how I process them, and how I substitute them for production. And so this allowed me to put all my time and work into putting this book together and publishing it, and. In hindsight, that had a lot more impact and longevity than producing another tableware collection in the world, which sets as a great example, but actually in terms of the impact you can have in allowing people to become a part of your process and yeah, together creating wide scale difference um, is huge. And it's released under the Creative Commons license alike. And that allows anyone to be a part of it. They just have to um, credit and also share under the same terms. So that's really important in terms of that chain reaction, um, allowing sustainable solutions to be widely available because we are a really conscious community. We really care about, well, most of us really care about the materials we use, the waste we produce. and But I don't think the solutions are there yet for people to implement to their practice so allowing people to learn from me and for me to learn from them as well and um, we're constantly constantly exchanging knowledge and ideas um, and I think that's really special because I don't feel like that exists a lot in the design or material innovation industry.
0: Yeah that sounds amazing and we'll definitely put a link to the book in the show notes um, and I love the your ethos around the Creative Commons and knowledge sharing and producing something that other people can build on over time, and I think you're right. That's really important and kind of um, one of the building blocks of how we move forward in all sorts of areas because we are trying to forge, um, you know, new new ways of doing things and overturn the the playbook of the 20, 20th century, which has taken us in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you got the book out of the way um, and uh, you know and into into, the, um, into the, the open into the ether and then you moved on to where you're talking to us from today to Bali. So um, can you talk us through um, what you're doing in Bali?
1: <laughs> so my goal was never to solely produce my collection, even though that is what I started doing after graduating, uh, mainly because I was just stuck. Um, in London, where I'm from. And I was meant to go work with a manufacturer straight after graduation, but uh, with the world situation that had to change. But I did then get the opportunity to work with a manufacturer here in Bali. So it was one that I'd visited and I reached out to um, proposing the work I'd done and suggesting that we try and make it happen on a larger scale in a different country, which is also on a small island and which sometimes i forget and yeah the goal was to recreate this collection build those symbiotic relationships that existed back in london and rebuild them here with the local community local waste materials and make something that was beneficial for the company to use um, throughout their production not just for one collection
0: so you pitched that and and how well did that did yeah. that go down did they say yes straight away or did you have to <laughs> do some extra persuading i got persuading? a yes
1: <laughs> i really didn't don't think she knew what she was in for um, but i'm really lucky to have a boss that will back is backing me all the way so with suggestions that i'm putting forward i don't feel like sometimes i have to argue my point as much as i feel like i sometimes predict that i need to because there's often cases and i'm sure a lot of people will feel this way that if you're trying to implement something um, that is better for the planet um, there can be certain people where you really have to argue and quite forcefully um, but i feel like in a very comfortable and supportive environment in um, scaling up and i think like, what we've done in one year is really impressive in terms of our short-term goals that we've achieved and what we have planned for the long term in terms of the whole infrastructure. So it's beyond materials now, it's really thinking about the whole production in terms of water source and recycling water, um, residues from all our water treatment systems. Um, there's things that I'm I'm learning on the job for sure, but the impact in terms of the, now we're talking tonnes rather than kilos of waste that we're now reclaiming um, is huge.
0: Yeah, so that's really impressive that you're going for the circular processors and closing the loop on the processes and making sure that um everything's going to be safe um as well as as well as um commercially viable but paint as a paint as a picture because the the feedstocks and so on in bali are slightly different aren't they to the degree project so um you know what what are you producing and what waste are you putting in as feedstocks
1: so one of the big curveballs that was thrown to me when I came here was one of the main waste sources that I used in my glaze was the glass waste from the panel, glass panel manufacturer um, and that manufacturer simply did not exist on this island and yeah I was told that we don't get edge line polishes here you'll only find it on the mainland um, in Java and Jakarta so I panicked for a second and then um, (laughs) uh, continued my research into sourcing how we could source secondary glass. And in London, we're in the UK, we're really privileged to have a really developed waste management system, um, which I've taken for granted for all the years I've lived there. It was only when I came to Bali that I realised there's four options for waste. It's either going to landfill, going into our rivers and or and then into our oceans it's getting exported um, or it's getting burnt and we didn't want to import waste uh, like the glass slurry from overseas it defeated the whole point Um, but Bali has a huge trash problem with people disposing waste in rivers and it clogging up Um, and there's a great NGO that we work with that uh, reclaims all this waste they process it uh, and then we buy the glass waste um, to use for our production Now previously they were exporting it to the mainland but with the increased cost of fuel they could no longer do that because it wasn't economically viable so we then took off our our hands there's no recycling facility in Bali for glass just doesn't exist even though it makes a lot of sense Um, and so we were able to help out and we took a few tons from them um, to use for our production but and I could have never predicted that when I was here Um, it was a bit of economic circumstances, political things happening globally that allowed that to happen. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's completely starting from scratch in terms of setting up the symbiosis in London and then replicating it here. Um, but the other source of waste, which is the stone slurry, it's from marble and granite manufacturers. They produce uh, slabs for interiors. They produce a toxic slurry when they cut the slabs. That's the same in the London and Bali. Uh, And then we also are are building the system to reclaim the waste, the clay residue built up from our wastewater treatment system in the factory. And from that, we can get 3.5 tonnes of clay a year. That was before just being sent to landfill. So not only are we getting the clay, we're also recycling the water as well for production. Um, And that's making up this new collection, Circus Ceramics in Bali. And it's a 14 piece collection Aim towards hotels, restaurants, and it's nice to be able to have clients on a bigger scale. So previously, previously, I could only produce work on a really small scale. Um, I love making, but my heart is in the material testing and the innovation. So I didn't wanna be caught up um, just producing all the time. So it's really nice to be working with the artisans in Bali and Kavala, which is the factory I'm working with. And it's all being hand thrown. Um, and yeah, sold mainly to Indonesia, um, but we are looking around Asia for clients.
0: It's just so there's so much serendipity, isn't there, happening throughout the projects that you've been working on? Um, and I love the way that the constraints of you know where you happen to be and the infrastructure there then creates more bits of new thinking and innovation. And I guess all of that can go into the into the handbook and over time as people get to understand what other sources there might be for these materials, then that could kind of become a materials library couldn't it? A sources library if you need this you know, these are the kinds of industries um, or even commercial and household waste um, infrastructure pieces that you can you can go and investigate for sources um, so it's it's just so wide ranging and and um, beneficial in so many so many ways so um that's not all you've been doing is it you, you've you got a project in the uk as well so could you tell us a bit about that please sarah
1: so early 2022 i started golden Hour studio with a property developer in london gabriel Lau. and the focus of this is to reclaim the excavated clay waste from properties, um, mostly ones digging basements. And we, instead of that being transported to another location, sometimes landfill, we distribute that to ceramics makers, basically whoever wants it within the radius of the miles that people are willing to come and collect it. So we had a team of around six people last year who were on site, all the clay. I mean, actually just a small portion of the clay excavated because there was quite a lot of tons of clay excavated. Um, The clay was sieved. um, It was then blended up and we then dehydrated it. And basically we became like a clay manufacturer, um, a bit of a botch one, um, but we got the job done and we distributed to a lot of people. And we learned on the job for sure. It's really tricky working with construction, which is one of the reasons this came about was my experience with the construction industry um, was just so much more difficult than all the other industries I worked with. I understand it's because they're large, there's a lot of health and safety laws to comply with. It's just so hard to get access to a material that is so important to my industry, Um, but it was just being taken elsewhere and disposed of or downcycled. Um, So meeting Gabriel it allowed us to form a relationship where we could basically bridge both sides and Gabriel allows the access Um, he has the knowledge of where each construction site is at within their production Um, we basically break the rules um, and we, we get six people on site which is just horrific like I think most civil engineer would be really disappointed at that fact but yeah we try and keep it contained and it just makes sense it's nothing too innovative and crazy it it just is doing the obvious in my eyes and we're more than a year on now and we have artists who've produced these works Um, we've got paintings we've got ceramic functional wear and sculptural wear and these are going back into the houses that were excavated from. So it's going full circle. And the scale and impact that we're having, I think, is minute. I don't think we're doing anything that is drastically changing the industry. But I think at the very least, we're starting a discussion about the way we treat our materials. And we have our SOPs about the way, where this material goes and where this one goes. But we're trying to break those rules and question them and build those relationships and yeah, just get people get ceramicist hands on this clay. That is, yeah, just doesn't make sense to me. So that's why we've formed golden earth studio.
0: Mm. And thinking about trying to persuade construction companies to change their SOPs, their standard operating processes, I guess it's, It's kind of reminding me of my early days as an industrial engineer, where the most frequent question was, you know, well, why are we doing it this way? And often it's, you know, people then pause and can't give you an answer. And it's kind of, you know, because we've always done it this way. But things can change. And, you know, the reasons for continuing to do these things are no longer brought back into the into the rationale. You know, we just keep repeating the, the same the same habits, mm-hmm. don't we? And I think that's one of the fundamentals that businesses need to stay on top of now is to question why are we still doing this? Um, even if you think of something as simple as this remanufactured Dell laptop, you know, businesses and citizens had got into the habit of changing laptops every three or four years because the hardware couldn't keep up with the software developments, but that's no longer true. And yet we hadn't changed our buying habits. It's kind of you know this is getting a bit elderly. I'll just I'll just swap it. Um, whereas you know that's not necessary. So those yeah. kind of questions apply to just so many things um, where we can we can just keep asking why.
1: I couldn't agree more
0: so yeah <laughs> that, that that lovely three letter word, <laughs> so um, in terms of the relationships with the construction companies, what's changed as a result of of doing that? you know, have people's views on the importance of recovering valuable materials has that changed? Are they now thinking about what commercial opportunities there might be from things they're excavating on site what what changes have you noticed
1: i i can't say i've noticed significant changes in the construction side's attitude but in terms of ceramicists i feel like they know that this material exists and now they want to get their hands on it and it encourages them to get in touch with other companies and in my book i always encourage people to explore local and that's why i wouldn't share the locations where i get my waste from it's really important that people establish their own material metabolisms because it's going to benefit them and the environment and so i feel like we've opened this door and um perhaps it, it saves a lot of money as well for ceramicists like people are paying could be 12 pounds to 20 pounds for a 12 kilo bag of clay and when they can source something locally not only does it build the narrative but it also saves them costs. So yeah, we definitely see now people reaching out more to construction sites and exploring that material, even if it's not with us, um, it's for someone else, which is really great.
0: Mm, that's great that you've sown, sown seeds for other people to, to already mm. start um, looking at local feedstocks instead of importing things. So Sarah, tell us more about your long-term vision for using waste ceramics as a feedstock.
1: So my goal is to continue working with manufacturers. It's not, I'm not interested in having my own production and continuing to contribute to the things being made on the planet. And so, yeah, we, I first worked with Kavala who can supply like the Southeast Asia region. Um, but my goal would be to work in another region and ultimately with the same collection and replicate that. But the materials are gonna be completely different And with the book as well, it's about building that community which produce on a smaller scale. And that's starting to grow. Um, The interest is definitely there, but the biggest investment is not money, but it's time. And often the smaller producers don't have the time. Um, So it's finding that right balance and the right time for them to, to implement this into their practice. And on the whole, it's about spreading the awareness about the materials that we use. Ceramics has massively increased in popularity, I think, since COVID. It feels like that anyway. And a lot of these people haven't gone through formal education. And so their knowledge about the materials they use, I I don't think is always there. So people aren't aware things are being mined and quarried and the ecological and social impacts of those practices. When people think about how to make their ceramic practice sustainable, it often means looking at the waste they're producing within their own production, rather than what happens before um, their materials are delivered to their studio, what happens when like nine tonnes of waste is produced for every tonne of clay quarried Mm. Um, materials like copper, you've got a high, a rich copper ore only contains half a percent of copper, and will produce two billion tonnes of waste for 20 million tonnes of copper. And we don't know about these waste streams that are happening beforehand. Um, We don't know about the transportation of these materials, whether they're going excavated in one country and then going to China and then coming to our distributor and then coming to our studio. Uh, It just it's really hard to trace that information and no one's really bringing that to our attention. Um, So I feel like the materials we work with are incredibly precious. Although clay is very abundant, it's still it is still finite and it still Mm. runs out. Um, But just having a different attitude to the materials we use, like they aren't disposable and we should be reclaiming whatever we can or finding alternatives for whatever we have locally available should be a priority or at the very least a a thought um, when they, when they make.
0: Yeah. And again, asking those questions, is this still the best way to do this because um, you know, Technology's changed, something might have come along that now enables the precious resources in the waste, embedded in the waste, to be extracted. Um, You know, things can change quite quickly. And I think another kind of misperception that lots of us have when we hear the word waste, it kind of sounds as if it's just a benign, you know, lump of stuff that's just left somewhere. But often that waste can contain an awful lot of toxins and hazardous materials that then leach into the surrounding soil and start to kill off living things, as well as getting into watercourses that humans end up drinking, bathing, growing food with. So that that word waste just sounds like a monetary thing, really, doesn't it? Rather than um, something that can be really, really harmful. Um, to us and and to nature.
1: Yeah, and this, we're competing for minerals that the clean energy sector are so hungry for right now. And I'm really concerned about this, but I don't think a lot of the materials we have will be economically viable for ceramic production in 100 or 200 years. The demand rate is looking at 350% for like copper and tin, cobalt and tin. And for us like co- materials like cobalt and copper, um, which have a huge ecological and social impact, uh, most of the time purely for aesthetic reasons so
0: in ceramics
1: in ceramics yeah for ceramics um, it doesn't really change the function um, so I really question the use of those materials um, when when they have that impact and yeah it doesn't serve a particular function within a product. should we be using those? In production if it's purely aesthetical.
0: Mm. Yeah that's a good point and it brings me on to what's starting to become a little one of my little hobby horses which is do we need a kind of global resources council because when you start to look at some of the critical um, minerals and the rare earths and lots of other things that are under pressure even simple things like sand uh, and rubber are under pressure Mm -hmm. then you start to look at how those things are used and question the importance of them and thinking that, you know, some of those uses are essential tools and and might be the way to move us forward to use less energy and carbon and so on or might just be there to make something a bit faster or a bit more convenient or to, or to look mm. nice. And one example that came comes to mind is lithium, which is another essential ingredient for batteries and renewable energy but it it's also in the batteries of disposable vapes and massive amounts of lithium are just being thrown away because those vapes don't even go into proper recycling systems and so you're kind of thinking how how is it that that that's allowed to happen on a global you know that we're wasting these precious resources Mm -hmm. on something that's probably harmful for human health as well i mean god knows what chemicals are are in those vapes i, I can't imagine any yeah. of it does and anybody any out. good yeah
1: yeah and and in ceramics it's like i don't feel like we're, we're very energy intensive our industries and so the waste that we produce the fired waste is incredibly valuable and most of the time it's just getting down cycled and but we're not working together i feel each industry or each manufacturer in ceramics is working alone to try and fix their problems to meet the net zero targets by 2050 and there doesn't feel like a collective goal or shared knowledge that what we can implement and work together on to reach these targets it feels like it's every man for themselves which is just completely wrong
0: mm. and everybody's trying to do their own r d on um you know what could we do yeah. what could we do differently yeah and i think um, there are so many opportunities to do something with waste heat and waste energy from from lots of processes it's one of the things that British sugar in the UK is really good at that everything they use as a resource in production they're trying to find how you know how can we not waste this how can we make some money out of it so the waste heat and uh, co2 from the manufacturing process of turning sugar beet into sugar goes to heat and provide. Um, uh, you know, resource of CO two for greenhouses on site, um, and um, at one time where they were the UK's biggest grower of hot house tomatoes. Amazing. Just, just from waste. Just sure. yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So brilliant. So Sarah, over the few years that you've been working on this the, this uh, project, what have you struggled with, and what surprised you most?
1: I think the biggest thing that has surprised me was moving to Bali and having to learn of a completely new attitude towards waste. Um, London, it's so structured and everything's categorized, um, but here introducing recycling into the factory was a monumental task, which I never predicted would be. I thought it'd be something that existed and people were familiar with, um, but that was just me being ignorant. And like, we're really starting from the basics and from the ground up to change the way that, the volume of waste that we produce and also the materials that we bring in. And it's, in all honesty, it's not something that we've completely hit the nail on the head on yet. It's really hard to change behavior, um, especially when everything comes in plastic and it's so abundantly available. How can I make people question buying something like i do depending on the material that comes in um i know that i'm slightly extreme in that way um but trying to make 150 people at factory do that is is a huge task which i don't think will be resolved in a couple of years it's going to be a long-term challenge and yeah and learning the ways that we manage waste here is sometimes mind-boggling and yeah it's it's a tough challenge but one that i'm committed to
0: yeah and i think that you know there'll be so many other places um in a similar position to bali because the amount of plastic and so on that's coming into the country just grew so rapidly and how does how does a small country raise enough taxes to just begin dealing with new types of waste you know the the mm-hmm. companies benefiting from swapping from glass to plastic didn't say, we've saved all this money from lightweighting our packaging. Um, Here's here's some of that to help with your recycling infrastructure. It's all just kind of left to the local taxpayer, um, which is another one of my hobby horses.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's all down to cost at the end of the day. I think everything on all levels. It's like whether cobalt's going to become so expensive that we can't use it anymore in our industry. Um, It's going to get prioritised by the clean green energy um but the same if the plastic becomes more expensive than the paper in terms of packaging that's when behavioral change will happen i think but it's yeah we cannot wait for those prices and Mm. to take effect we have to try and change that mentality beforehand
0: yes yeah and try and encourage people to think about the future and and the kind of you know the the bigger concept that everything's finite, and you know there is no mm-hmm. way if we just dispose of this packaging and it ends up in landfill, it doesn't stay there inert, does it? It leaches its toxins into the into the ground. If it escapes and gets into a river, then it's you know messing up the the the, the, the all sorts of things and ending up in our food system. So it's this kind of you know bigger picture and that's that's yep. hard for people to take on board, so when you're talking to people about the concept of circular ceramics and the circular economy, if they're interested in going circular as a business what what's the one tip that you would share with them?
1: I think it's nothing really to do with like the material innovation or understanding of material. I think the biggest factor is relationships and building. Those relationships with the right people and maintaining those relationships. And yeah, keeping everyone on your side, basically. I feel like most of my work is communicating and establishing these connections between industries um, more than anything else. So sometimes I have moist suppliers that couldn't care less what I do with their material. Um, But, you know, it's completely symbiotic. I benefit from being able to retain this material for free. And he benefits because he's otherwise going to be having to pay to dispose of his waste. And it's it's really nice the relationships that I have built um, with people who are really interested in what I'm doing with their waste. And they've been so on board with helping me minimize um, any problems with consistency in waste. I get completely informed about if there's going to be a change in this batch of waste and why, what's caused it what might happen and that's invaluable to me that saves me a lot of time um so yeah it's the same like that but yeah
0: yeah that's that's a really interesting point and it's another one of the complexities of going circular isn't it that you can't necessarily even predict the volume of what's going to come in if you're using waste as a feedstock and obviously the as you say the the quality and the precise makeup can vary as well so it's it's another challenge, but it's one of the things that we're going to have to get used to as we work within this, um, this landscape, realising that resources are finite and depleting and that we can't just carry on um, with 20th century processes. So, Sarah, is there anyone you'd recommend as a future guest for the programme?
1: So, my inspiration for... this this symbiosis that built is of course Kolumburg symbiosis in Denmark not sure if you've come across them. yes yeah of course you have (laughs) Um, so when I first came across them in my research it was just like a light bulb moment where I was like oh of course these Manuf 16 partners will exchange all their waste streams and replace their consumption of materials and operate all on the same bit of land and uh, they have four thousand five hundred employees now saving x amount of co2 from transport and materials and um i I think it's amazing what they've built since 50 years ago if if i'm right and yeah it it just proves that we can operate in this way and it very beneficial to people and the environment and that was what i sort of built my model off even though we're not, my manufacturers are not on the same piece of land. Um, it's about creating those networks. And yeah, so I'm in completely in complete awe of what they've achieved and I constantly keep up to date with the new companies or, who are on board with them. And yeah, I think they would be a great business to, to introduce and learn about their journey.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And I'll uh, look up um, the latest on the Callenborg symbiosis project and put a link in the show notes. And it it is interesting because I think it started with only two of the companies on on the site, um, one of which might have been state owned um, producer um, exchanging one waste, you know, into another feedstock. And then it's kind of grown from there to be more materials and more partners and so on. So it's it is a really interesting example of collaboration and cooperation and, you know, keeping asking more questions about what could we do next and how do we make this work. So thank you. That's a great example. And Sarah, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing to help create a better world for all of us, what would that be?
1: Well, I would just ask all manufacturers to look beyond their four walls. Um, Disregard SOPs. (laughs) and any rules and the way we've done things that have been put in place. And like you said, like question everything. Um, But perhaps we need like a dating app for waste materials and know what is locally available. I feel like there are businesses doing this. Um, I haven't necessarily worked with them yet, but yeah, it's just like knowing what is on the market, what is available and knowing that how it can benefit your business and in what way. I mean, yeah, it's just the share of knowledge, ultimately.
0: Mm. And that ability to see what might be available just next door that you 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 have no idea about. Yeah. uh, yeah.
1: Wander down the street and ask them what they're doing, what they're making, what waste have you got. Yeah, just that initial conversation, I think, could end in something really positive.
0: Yes. Uh, Yeah, I, I think you're right. And there are a few... Platform apps uh, emerging, some of which we've interviewed on the, on the podca- podcast, um, Reaply being one of those. And I think they're going to come back on soon. And then there's a quote that I use from time to time from Google. I'm not sure if it's a good thing <laughs> or a bad thing that Google say this, but um, Google say waste is just a data problem. So maybe that means they're working on their own dating app for for waste let's we'll have to wait and see so sarah how can people find out more and get in touch with you and all the good stuff you're doing with circular ceramics
1: Uh, so you can head to my website sarahhowardstudio.com i'm also on instagram and linkedin as well with my name
0: great and we'll put those links in the show notes. show notes and thanks so much good luck with all the various projects that you're doing and especially with the book And moving that forward and hopefully getting people to contribute to that and make it, you know, into the primary wiki of circular ceramics and (laughs) maybe even growing into all the adjacent industries, um, you know, for which you're using feedstocks or sending waste from ceramics back into those industries. It could be really game changing. So thanks very much, Sarah.
1: Thank you very much, Catherine.
0: That's a wrap for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our awesome guest this week, Sarah Howard, and thanks also to Debbie Ward of Circlo, a fellow member of the Circular Economy Steering Group at the Institute for Environmental Management and Assessment, IEMA. Thank you, Debbie, for making this episode possible. You can find out more about Sarah Howard at sarahhowardstudio.com. Follow her on Instagram and check out all the other links we mentioned in the show notes at Podcast.com. The Circular Economy Podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, the company I started to help you succeed with Circular. You can find information on my talks, workshops and advice, plus Circular Economy resources at rethinkglobal.info. And you can connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better circular and regenerative future. We can do better with less. We can all help spread the word too, talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. If you're just starting out with the circular economy, why not check out our Getting Started playlist on the podcast homepage you could also buy my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries check out the Interactive Podcast Index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at com. Thanks so much for listening to the end. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe. And I'll see you next time.